This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science. Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. Rules and, and ethics and everything else. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where science rules. It's a call-in show, so if you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, please go to askbillnye.com and type on in. I want to hear what's on your mind. I want you to tell me what's keeping you up at night or getting you up in the morning or, or just bugging you. Call us. So, people, this show is conducted in English. And we do our best to be clear, to make our thoughts clear to you, the listener. And for that, we have discipline and grammar. Now, I I have had disagreements with people. Sure, maybe, maybe you have too. But when we disagree about the uses of quotation marks, italics, the series comma, that's, no, those are fighting words right there. Literally, words that we're fighting over over words. And so I'm very excited to have our next guest on the show, Ben Dreyer, who is the copy chief of Random House, a huge publishing house. And later in this same show, not only do we have Ben Dreyer, the copy chief, but we have winners of the National Spelling Bee. It's just, it's just a great show. And once again, I am joined, of course, by my beloved colleague, science writer, editor, bon vivant, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey. Greetings. Greetings, Bill. Today, we are joined by none other than Benjamin Dreyer. He is the copy chief of Random House and author of Dreyer's English, which I believe is a New York Times bestseller. It is a New York Times bestseller. And as well, it should be. I loved it. Thank you for coming in here, Benjamin Dreyer. This book made me laugh out loud. Why did you write this book? I wrote this book because after many years of having moved into more sort of administrative work at Random House, the publisher that I work for. Big publisher, huge. Huge publisher. I I found myself copy editing um, 
a novel and and the joy that I found in copy editing the novel, copy editing being the thing that I had started doing decades what before. What is the difference between editing and copy editing? The person that I tend to refer to as the editor editor has been working with the author for who knows how many drafts and who knows how many years back and forth and back and forth. And between the two of them, they have tackled all of those really sort of big picture issues. And uh, so, so when they're satisfied that the manuscript, that the book is the way it's supposed to be in all of its big ways, it's handed off to my department to be, among other things, uh, copy edited. And so copy editing is a sort of nuclear level attention to details that that includes things like, well, of course, making sure that everything in the book is spelled properly and making sure that the author hasn't tripped up on words that resemble one another but are, in fact, different and distinct words. Um, You're applying uh, the rules of grammar as it suits you to apply them. Um, It suits you, you the copy editor. You the copy editor. Uh, When you apply these rules, there's some logic and wonderful tradition and understandings and all of those things, all rules. of those things. I mean, there there is essentially a consensus, and of course that consensus shifts year by year, uh, but there is a consensus as to what constitutes good standard, and I'm making air quotes here, which nobody can see me do, correct English. Well, then why are so many people wrong about stuff? You know, because they they, they can't, <laughs> nobody can know everything. <laughs> now, Bill, if I may turn the tables for a moment. Why are you so obsessed with grammar? Clearly, it brings some satisfaction that's beyond just clear communication. But what is that satisfaction? I feel it, too. I know it, but I can't really describe it. I'm not sure, but you want – in order to be clear, you imagine it to be logical. And so the rules are developed in a logical way. This implies that. That implies this. So there is a difference between the subject of a sentence and the object. Yes. The predicate, for example. And so – Uh, You want this to be clear. And when people don't use language that's clear, I can hear it. And it makes me wonder if they're not thinking clearly as well. When I hear somebody, for example, uh, if I understand this term, hypercorrect. Yes. By saying between you and I, which is so offensive to me because (laughs) it's the direct object of the preposition between. So it's between you and me. For crying out loud, that cannot be rocket surgery. And yet, I hear it continually, and I'm, I'm troubled with each hearing. Um, I, I have to say it's a funny thing. I mean, we've forgotten that uh, – p- perhaps we have forgotten that once upon a time we had uh, any number of presidents who spoke gorgeous English and could speak extemporaneously paragraph after paragraph. What are you saying about the current president? I'm not saying anything at all. Um, But I'm saying of the previous one that the only grammatical glitch I ever remember hearing out of his mouth was that he was uh, in the habit of saying things like, this is something that's very important to Michelle and I. Uh, But but, but of course, it jumped out at you because everything else was so beautifully well formed. I mean, the funny thing is I sort of wandered into copy editing because I had a good sort of knack for it. Uh, and I had an, and I have a good ear, but I my my education in the English language was I would have to say at best rudimentary, um, <laughs> but I had to learn all the stuff that I had never really learned. 
so that I could do my job properly. For example, exemplary gratia. Uh, I, 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 I had, for instance, no idea what um, what the subjunctive mood was. I didn't even know that English had moods. Um, besides, the subjunctive mood is 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 the is the expression of a situation of non-reality. So, for instance, um, were I to win the lottery? Exactly. I felt as if I were the king of England. Mm-hmm. But you know, but this this is the thing, and I and and I want to emphasize this is the three of us sit here being sort of deadly serious and completely joking all at the same time. We all have our own sort of irrational or or too strongly held beliefs about how the English language is supposed to work. And the thing is, really, it it's a game, and and you have to play it like it's a game. All right, be that as it may. Yes. I believe we can draw a distinct, very dark, or perhaps bright line with respect to the series comma. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> so for me, it's a serial comma because serial's an adjective. Yes. I always call it an Oxford comma because right. that's, that's how I am. Yeah, no, well, when it comes to, when it comes to that comma, playtime is over. <laughs> Just expand on that, if you would, for a sentence or two. Yes, the 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 comma that we are going to, in a counterclockwise fashion, refer to as the Oxford comma or the serial comma, or as I like to call it, the series comma. Um, I don't tend to use the term Oxford comma because, you know, I'm a patriotic American. Also, of course, ironically, and I think I might actually mean in this case ironically, they don't use it much over there. You know, in 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 English, they land. them they, they the, the, that's the, a that's a literally ironic. Yes, the the Brits they're not really too fond of of that comma. They don't use it much anyway. So you can call the Oxford comma. To me, of course, the word serial when we're not talking about the thing that comes in the box uh, tends to me to evoke killer. So I just sort of you know I, I, I it, <laughs> it's your business. It's my business. So I like to call I like <laughs> but to. But we're talking about red the serious comma, comma, white comma, comma, and blue and blue. Yes. So it's if, not red comma white and blue. That's a whole nother. Exactly. So the, the use of the series comma is, insofar as I am concerned, you're using the series comma to make it quite clear to the reader that the last two items in a list do not enjoy some particular special relationship that sets them apart from all of the other items in the list. In his book, Mr. Dreyer, in describing the importance of the series comma, points out that you, the reader, none of us really, are godless savages, and therefore we must embrace this comma for the betterment of all humankind. But along this line, uh, a whole nother, for example. A whole nother. We have uh, a whole nother audience uh, out there thinking about grammar. Is yes. That... So this is a call-in show, uh, Benjamin. Yes. May, do I call you Benjamin or Ben or Dr. Dreyer? I, what, can I, I call you BD? BD is nice. Okay. I, I like Benjamin if you have the time. I have time. To- oh, yes. I'm here for you. A couple syllables. Out there in the land of internet and askbillnye.com, we have, I believe, Jeremy. We do have Jeremy. Jeremy, are you out there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, where are you calling from? From Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, yes. Fine uh, town. So uh, what is your question? So my question is, why is sex something that we have, not something that we do? We have sex. We do not do exactly. sex. I don't. You don't say I make sex with you or I do sex with you. I, but I, I have, have sex, sex with, with you. you, or I, as if it's a, a right. as if it's an object that you possess, or I euphemistically sleep with you. I think that there's really there's no other answer to that question beyond English 
English Englishes in its own incredibly weird fashion. And and idioms come up and phrases come up and we just sort of get used to them even though as soon as you start to stare at them, they become less and less logical. Um, I always I, I always suggest that it's a very bad thing to stare at any one little piece of the English language for more than a few seconds because it loses its meaning altogether. Like never stare at the word the. Uh, oh, it's a t- the article. Yeah, but as far as having sex is concerned, I mean I can't say I'm not a professional. I'm, I'm not a linguist and I'm not an etymologist either. Um, for all I know, have sex crept into the English language in that odd way because it came in from French? Uh, maybe? Yeah. Uh, je ne sais quoi. Pe- peut-être. <laughs> so um, uh, along this line, a friend of mine is uh, uh, Serbian, and he said when he was learning English, he found that if he used the word get, he could get almost anything done. He could get a Coca-Cola. He could get uh, a job. He could do all sorts of things. He could get married. With that verb. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have marriage. You get married. You get married. English is just weird. That, Jeremy, that, this is a great question. Yeah. I'm afraid it's irresolvable, it's man. A, it's a great question to which there is no particularly good answer. Thank you. Thank you, man. Perfect. So uh, the, the lines are still open. Allison? Hi. Where are you calling from? Rhode Island. Uh, it's uh, uh, the ocean state. Uh, it's a sportsman's paradise. Yes, yes. It is not a sports person's <laughs> paradise, leastways not yet. Nor is it an island. Nope. It's, it's all that. Nope. So, but you have a question. Yes. Well, there's a saying that goes, I after E except after C. Um, but that isn't always the case. For instance, the word weird completely abandons this rule, and I'm wondering why that is. I, I, I before E except after C is as I characterize right. it in, in the book. That is some major elementary school bullshit. Uh, because <laughs> because I before E except after C, yeah, it applies sometimes, but there are a million words to which it does not re- does not apply. It doesn't apply to weird. It doesn't apply to to neighbor. Uh, it it doesn't apply to deicide. If you happen to be in a god killing kind of mood, Allison, are you ready? I before E except after C, or sounds like A as in neighbor and way, unless it's in the exceptional sentence. Neither leisured foreign sheiks seized nor forfeited the weird heights. How now, did you do that? Now, furthermore, <laughs> wow. there is a there is a uh, a modern tendency with all the business. Uh, United Allison, States. I, I hope you're happy with what you're doing here no, because this uh, is this is messing I'm up. Thrilled. You're messing up a lot of young minds out there. Now, furthermore, uh, there is a tendency now with all the business we do with the Middle East to say shakes. Instead of sheiks, the um, uh, governing people in uh, the Middle East, neither leisured foreign sheikhs seized nor forfeited the weird heights. And then it's good to remember that the beer, the uh, drug words, codeine, caffeine, and beer stein also are E before I. And of course, as a mechanical engineer who worked in hydraulics, I have to point out that weird and the small dam a weir are also spelled E before I. So that handy, that handy rule is only handy if you got all that other stuff. Allison, you've asked a great question. And this, it's just, what is it, Benjamin, about misspellings that bug some of us? I, 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 I think that what bugs some of us about misspellings is how hard we work to ace spelling quizzes. 
How hard do we work? I work really hard. <laughs> I would do anything for one of those little sort of gold foil stars. I love those. Oh, the spelling bee so, champs. So later in the show, you may not be aware of this, we are going to have several of the eight winners of this year's spelling bee. The octo champs, they're calling so they them. So got, they got through 20 rounds of crazy words, words that most of us don't use very often, and they got them all. And the judges got, like threw in the towel, if I may use a uh, boxing metaphor, and decided to award $50,000 to all eight of them, to each of the eight, that is to say. Uh, Allison, thank you very much for that call, taking us down the neither leisured foreign sheiks season or forfeited the weird heights road. And thank always you. remember, the principal is your pal. Yes. Ah, yes. And you want more dessert, so you have two S's. Yeah. Oh, as opposed to a desert. Yeah, sure. I, that, that, that one has saved me many a time. If you like science, stay tuned. More after this. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at You're listening to Science Rules. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Out there, we have a phone call. Feng, is that how I say it? Hi. Uh, yeah, it's uh, pronounced Feng. Oh, like, Feng. Uh, feng Shui. Ah, like Feng Shui. Voila. Uh, so, yep. Feng, please, you have a question. Yes. Uh, my question is, used to the past tense versus used to the present tense. Uh, is there really a difference between those two? Um, I don't know that there are... Two used, of them. There's, used to. I used to do used something. used to or I used to. Versus I used yeah, use to. I, I, I don't know any used to. The only one I know is the one that has the D in it. Uh, so in other words, I think uh, it sounds like there's no D. It's an unvoiced, uh, 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 what is it behind the teeth? Dental fricative. It's an unvoiced dental fricative. <laughs> and so, uh, Fung, uh, yes, it's used yes, yes. with a D, too. Yes, no matter, how it's, no matter how it's coming out of your No matter mouth. how you might hear somebody say used to. Yeah, used they're, to they're used cars and they're used to. These used cars used to So there, there is a difference in spelling, but no difference in, uh, uh-huh. in uh, clarity in, in oral words. Yeah, the, one, the one thing where the, the issue of that particular sort of pronunciation is beginning to affect spelling a bit is that the thing that we have traditionally referred to as iced tea— Yes. Because it's hard to get that D out of your mouth immediately yes. followed by the T. You will increasingly see the written construction ice T. Now, is that ice T hyphenated? Only if it's the actor. Ah, voila. 
And so it is, there is no, there is no uh, space, nor is there a hyphen in iced tea. There is not. Well, there's a space. There is a space, two words. Yes, I-C-E-D, if space, I, as the T-E-A. Auth- as I, if I, as the author, insisted on iced tea, all one word, would you roll with it? It would be an interesting conversation. I think you may have broken him. I, I, the, he looks like a broken man. No, this is this is the thing about interesting spellings and interesting grammars and interesting this and interesting that. The writer has to really decide whether or not uh, all of their you like that. The writer has to decide whether or not all of their little ticks and 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 what I was about to say, all their little cutenesses, are worth getting onto the page so that you've got readers who are constantly conscious of all these little tricks that you're doing, as opposed to perhaps wanting to pay more attention to your content. While we're talking about uh, homonym-type constructions. Homonym-type constructions, everyone. The one you hear a lot of, people saying should of instead of should have. Yes. Uh, I believe you are going to war against that. Okay. Or how that, do you feel it, about wait, that? Wait, wait, wait. Is that a homonym or well, when you a say homophone? Sh- 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 oh, sorry. It's hom- homophone. It, it is a homophone. Right. Yes. Sounds Th- thank alike. You. Thank yeah. you for that. All right. So the construction should of, S-H-O-U-L-D space O-F, is certainly going to show up in certain renderings of certain dialects, particularly southern U.S. So you will see the construction should of. You will certainly see it in Flannery O'Connor, and you will see it in Zora Neale Hurston. And if I'm not mistaken, you're also going to see it in Faulkner, to which my general suggestion is, do you happen to be Flannery (laughs) O'Connor? If you're not, I would urge you to use the standard issue should have or in a pinch in dialogue when you're trying to convey a particular sound, you can certainly use the construction should have spelled S-H-O-U-L-D apostrophe V-E. Voila. That's a very tidy test. I am also always urging writers to be very careful about any decision to render dialect or any sort of non-standard English on the page phonetically because at the at the least you are going to teeter over into sounding rather classist as you decide how you're going to characterize Misspell. funny people's speech and at the worst you're just going to get it to be flat out racist. Uh, wow. So, Fung, thank you for your question. See what it led to or hear what it led to or <laughs> replay what it led to. That was just really, really insightful. Uh, spell it as uh, Dr. Dreyer would have you spell it and say it either used to or used to and you'll be fine. Yes. All right. Here, so I have to ask a question on behalf of my daughters. I have a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old uh, who are fascinated by swear words, curse words, and the power of, of, you know, of a forbidden word. There's a whole hierarchy of them. Uh, where, does that, where does that hierarchy come from? That you know, the poop is not quite as bad as crap, which is certainly not as bad as shit. There, 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 are, these, there are these sort of hierarchies of, of offensiveness and forbiddenness. Like why, what makes a word forbidden? Well, I, I think starting with the ones that are, are, are least offensive, they will tend to be the, 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 the nursery versions of the words. They're, so the, the, the heavy word gets uh, – is there a word to diminify? Um, to reduce. Well, there is now. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna write that one down. No, there's all the sort of the the childish euphemisms for for fudge for for things that there are friggin' yes. H e double hockey sticks. H which I love. H e double hockey sticks. Um, 
it's those really intense Anglo-Saxon ones that that people still tend to find somewhat shocking. Um, um, I mean, you know, I mean, I remember, and, and nobody, I think, I don't think anybody bats an eye anymore when you say uh, of your distaste about something, you know, it sucks. Um, yeah. But I remember how shocked and not in a good way my mother was yes. the first time she heard that particular word coming out of my mouth. Uh, and and my my mother, uh, God bless her, um, is 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 pretty salty in her in in her <laughs> in, in her truth. language to tell you the absolute truth. <laughs> so uh, another couple issues I'd like to cover. We had some we have some questions that were written in, uh, and uh, Ovidio asks, "Can we agree that had had is a bit silly?" It's a bit sorry. <clears throat> Had had is a bit silly, but sometimes it's just a necessary um, construction in the sentence. For example, um, Ovidio had had the desire to call into the show, but he settled for sending a question by text. Yeah, I think, man, that's as, that's as, that's as good an example as any. The problem is every time everybody somebody says to me, oh, can you provide an example? Is when my mind goes absolutely blank. <laughs> that's the, that's, the, that's the, the feature of the human mind, I'm afraid. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, every now, and then, every now and then you need a had-had. Joshua wrote in with a very good question about the expression begs the question. Oh, yeah. So his, he actually wrote, is it time to stop fighting the good fight for the actual meaning of begs the question? Or is it a hill not worth dying on? And I maybe I would have suggested not worth dying upon. Yes. I, I will always – I will continue probably until I die and we'll figure out how long that's going to be. Uh, I will continue to try to edit that out. Just not use the phrase at all. Begging yeah. question out. No. Yeah. Just get rid. Just just get rid of it. But you're okay with ending on a preposition. Uh, yes. This sort of begs the question of what the whole point of the show. Wait. Well, what? I'm not what? sure that's what you meant, young man. <laughs> begs the question, Benjamin. Begs the question is if I'm going to get this right. Begs the question is. What do you a, mean if you're going to? You're freaking Benjamin Dreyer, copy editor, to copy chief. It's a kind of logical fallacy in which you are attempting to prove a point by using your conclusion as evidence to support your conclusion. So you are essentially going around and around in circles. It's a tautology. Is not a planet round? Um, is is that 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 um, health food is good for you because it supports good health. That's that is begging the question. Now, of whether or not health food is good for you. Yes. So that's what begging the question traditionally means. And there are about seven to ten people left alive who can remember that. For much of the rest of the world, the phrase begging the question is now used to mean, um, well, this happened and this therefore happened and this happened. Therefore, we must happened. ask. And yes, therefore, we must ask. It begs the question. Please with, ask. Please. With their English. <laughs> um, and, and the thing is, you can either get really stuffy about it whenever you see that usage. 
um, or you can embrace the 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 newer usage. Um, I find the whole thing completely unsatisfactory because whenever copy editors try to uh, to 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 rephrase what a writer had written as begs the question, and then they will try to rephrase it as well. It demands that the question be asked. It's like you can see on the you can virtually see on the printed page where it used to say begs the question. So my father used to say. By their pronouns, you shall know them, and so on. So, for example, his or her, and they, yes. and their, troublesome. In English, we don't have a neutral or neuter singular. Yes. That was a thing I knew I was going to have to deal with when I was writing my book. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to are it. There, are you going to alert us when you're going to be imperfectly honest or— Less than honest. No, I'm going to try to be as honest as I possibly can be. I'm sure I have all sorts of tells, and you'll maybe begin to recognize them. <laughs> um, but I, it, it's it's such a vexing, contentious subject. But I knew, you know, it's like I wasn't going to be able to to pretend it didn't exist. One is useful in many cases, although one too many ones, and one is going to begin to sound a little excessively fussy. The thing about the singular they, as one might use it, for instance, in a sentence like, a student should be able to study whatever they want. There you or, go. or as I am quite capable of saying to one of my colleagues, oh, well, when the copy editor is done with the job, would you make sure that they send it back right away? Mm -hmm. Because that's how we all talk. Um, now, the thing about the singular they is that it has had a presence in the English language for century after century after century, which is a fine thing, although... That something existed doesn't necessarily make it useful or make it correct, but precedent is precedent. But here's the thing. If you were raised as I was in the latter half of the 20th century and you were reading a lot of writing that was published in the 20th century, you're not going to find uses of the singular they. You are going to open up a book as, for instance, when I was doing my research to see what I could find. And I landed on a book by Anna Freud of all people. And I thought, well, this is going to be Anna interesting. Anna Freud? Like as Sigmund's, Sigmund's daughter. daughter. The and, Sixers. And she was, she was writing a book about the raising of children. Unless she was very definitively speaking about a girl child, she would always refer to a child as a he. All right. And, and of course, so what everyone sort of took for granted in the, in, through the years of the 20th century was that you could use the pronoun he to refer to a person whose gender was not particularly relevant to the discussion at the moment because doesn't he make a perfectly good default pronoun? Because, you know, a default human being is a he. Like manned space flight. Right. It, and and, and if, you're, if you're not a he, you're distaff. You've lost something. Ex exactly. So, you know, a normal person <laughs> is a he, as we also eventually had to disabuse many people of a normal person is, is a he and a normal person is white. Mm -hmm. um, and a normal person is a lot of other things that normal people are not. People are much more varied and interesting than this. But to get back to the point... So that use of the pronoun he persisted and persisted and persisted, and we were all very sort of used to it. It's how you write. But now when I started to do copy editing work uh, in the early 1990s, writers were beginning to revolt against that, and they were trying to figure out how to write around it. Now, one thing you can always do if you want to discard a singular he is you try to take the subject and make it plural, and then you're writing a sentence like, students should be able to study whatever they want, problem solved. But that doesn't always work. So what you had writers doing was doing the he or she thing, 
I have done the he or she thing. Or, or the constantly. S slash he. Wait, in all right. Writing. So the, the first is is quickly tedious. The second, this, the S slash he thing is, is atrocious. It's not bad, Corey. It's atrocious. It's I, atrocious. It's, I, to me, it's ghastly, but you know, <laughs> you know, choose your poison. It's, 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 it's just visually it not Camille Faux. And uh, what did you just say? Uh, never mind. <laughs> was it Latin? I think it was French. French. It might have been French. <laughs> um, it, it was definitely italicized. Yeah. So, so writers were trying to figure out how to solve that. And my only contribution to solving it was to try to figure out how to perhaps recast a sentence so that it didn't have any pronoun in it at all. And, and, and sometimes I would do that, and, and, and I found that it, it felt like I had helped create a better, tighter sentence. So let's skip ahead to now and the ascendant notion that the singular they for any number of reasons is a thing that should be embraced. And many writers embrace it and many writers embrace it enthusiastically. I'm sort of stuck. I'm a person of a certain age. I'm used to the things that I'm used to. I certainly do not endorse the, the, the ongoing use of he as that sort of you know, universal person. Yeah, because that's that's no good at all. But I still do that thing where I'm manipulating sentences to see whether or not I can, whether or not I can get rid of the pronoun. No, do they do they not have this problem in other languages? You know them. Um, in, in, well, for one thing, in in other languages, and I guess for better or for worse, I mean, for instance, in French, everything is. Everything is gendered. Right. Or in Spanish. I mean, that's, that's right. A, that's Tables common. are gendered. Books are gendered. Apples are gendered. So I suppose you've got the notion that you're used to everything walking around with a gender attached to it. So it doesn't seem quite so egregious. Um, but but we don't we don't have that. You know, uh, we, we don't have that. We have a lot of it in our language. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but one thing, you know, at long last is in, in, in conversation with the people that I work with, the, my fellow copy editors, my fellow production editors, I finally, we finally came to the conclusion that if an author is going to write a book and make good, obvious, willed use of the singular they, it is not our job to try to work around it, to repair it, to do anything to it other than to Accept it. <sighs> Accept it. Progress is 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 hard sometimes. But oh, you know, but you know, if you're gonna get if you're gonna get absolutely stuck in your way so you can't be flexible with anything, um, that's bad for the brain. You know that. Corey, what on earth could it be? Could be that static electricity is dissipating from the cloud to the ground, or, or the ground could to the be, cloud. Or could be the lightning round. And so now we have lightning in the air and thunder, and it's time, Benjamin, for the lightning round. These are quick answers to some, we hope, charming inquiries. Okay. Greatest grammatical pet peeve. Um, greatest grammatical pet peeve is the thing that we call the dangler, the dangling modifier, oh, the, yeah. the illogically constructed driving down the coast. The weather was fine. Yes. Uh, how do you feel about historic versus uh, a historic versus an historic? A historic. Now, and why uh, do you say that? Because there's an H in front of it. For crying out loud. Yes. It's People. like all that way about 
an hypothesis? A hypothesis? I would say, I would say hi, 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 hypothesis. Yeah, a, see, it's, a, it's, tr a, it's tricky. We well, you have to sort to of, breathe. you have to, you have to sound it Bill, out. Bill, you're, you're in an hysterical mood right I, now. I, I, I am. am. I think excited. that, I think that you can say an historian if you also say an peach. Sure. Uh, Right. Uh, now, uh, how do you feel about OMGs, LOLs, and TBHs out there in the world? Oh, um, I like them in texts. Well, no, I, I, I like a good OMG. I like a good OMFG. I'm not a big one for the LOLing. Mm. I don't know. It just doesn't grab you. Yeah. How about literally? Oh, no, that, that, that's a hill upon which I will, I, will, I will die pierced by who knows how many swords. Um, literally is to be used literally to mean literally. It is, not to used, it is not to be used to mean figuratively. All right. How do we feel about the word podcast in general? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a necessary coinage. And, as, a, and as, I, as, I, as, I, as I will often say, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily cotton to words that are invented for no particularly good use except to dress up some shop-worn idea with a new word so you can sound as if you're being original. But a, a new word that brings something to the table um, is, is, is a lovely thing. I mean, when one of the dictionaries named selfie as the word of the year, people got all sort of, you know— uh, bent out of shape. Bent out of shape about that. And, and it's like, but there isn't another word that does that quite the way that word does that in the same way that there, though I really don't care for the use of the verb gift. Ah, yes. Although, you know, again, there's a lot of precedent, goes back, blah, 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 all that sort of thing. Regift is is a brilliant coinage. There's nothing, there's nothing that's, that that conveys that concept. Or so I give you a copy of my book and you hand it off. You regift you re it to a colleague. It. Benjamin, this has just been a delight. I thank you so much for taking the time to come down here. Our guest today has been Benjamin Dreyer, the copy chief of Random House and his book, Dreyer's English. Well, Dreyer's English rules, New York Times bestseller. I laughed out loud. It is. Who knew that the English language could be this much fun? And I got to say, as the kids say, it's all that. Stick around for more science rules after this. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Science Rules is back. So we have here today two of the eight winners from the 2019 Scripps National Spelling Bee. And it had an unusual outcome this year. After 20 straight rounds, Corey, nobody got it wrong. So there are eight winners. Eight winners uh, this year in the National Spelling Bee, which is extraordinary. Well, it's, and, it's an octotie? I guess it's an octotie. Yeah. We can ask people how to spell that. And the people we're going to ask would be Shrutika Patty and Rohan Raja. Welcome, welcome, uh, Shrutika and Rohan. We were watching here at the office. The tension it was just too much. 
the tension as you guys were trying to spell things. It was drinking crazy. I couldn't have to my, turn my, it off. My palms were sweating yes. when I was watching you. I couldn't imagine what it was like actually being but there. But speaking of palms, do you two spell the words on your hand or forearm? I do. I, I spell, spell. I mean, write them. I mean, I write them out on my palms, and that just helps me visualize the word. I don't write the word in my hand. I just visualize it in my head. I make up my mind and I spell it. How do you guys do it? How do you stay in the game? I mean, definitely you want to put your game face on, and I play field hockey, so you know you want to just get in the zone. That's right. So they all the professional athletes say they think about nothing. Do you really think about nothing? Well, yeah, I really try to zone in on the word and, like, clear everything off my mind because I know, like, I've worked the year for this um, one event. So I really try to tune in into the word and get it right. Okay, when you say you worked, what sort of work did you do? I worked the whole year to study different words and language patterns and roots in order to understand how words are derived. Latin and Greek kind of thing? Latin, Greek, French, all kinds of rules and patterns that can best help you derive a word. What's a rule? So, for example, there are some very phonetic languages, like uh, Spanish. So you would spell it uh, phonetically with the A-A-E-O-U vowel scheme, and you just study that vowel scheme, and that can help you figure out a word if you don't know it. Do you have a favorite language, uh, Americanized word that you just you can't wait Give, let me have that one. I mean, it's got to be French now since my winning word was French. So. What was your winning word? Aiguillette. A-I-G-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. Which means? A shoulder strap. Oh, of course. Of course. Not what, an what epaulette. Similar. Yeah. Wait, Rohan, what, what was your word? My word was odyllic, and it came from German plus Greek plus, like, Greek. It was odyllic. It, it has to do with odd and odd, which are both, like, powers um, underlying in like na- and common things in nature. Uh, mm. Natural forces. Yeah, kind of. So is fire an odolic I think force? it's more like a mythical context. Uh, so a dragon flying yeah. around. Somebody with telepathy. Uh, kind of. I guess it's hard to explain. <laughs> is it? Let alone easy <laughs> to spell. Can you spell it again? O-D-Y-L-I-C. Oh, okay. How many hours a day do you guys practice? I studied um, up to five hours on weekdays every day. Five and hours a day on spelling? On weekdays. When do you eat and sleep? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and play field hockey. Play field hockey and go to school. And I don't understand, but okay. And it's, um, yeah, it gets even more on uh, weekends, which is uh, 13 hours. <laughs> um, 13 hours a day or 13 hours over the weekend? 13 hours a day. Are you looking at lists of words for 13 hours or is somebody reading you? Go ahead. Uh, it's a combination of both, really. And that this is closer to the B. It's not like the whole year I was doing 13 hours a day on weekends. No, but um, I did ramp it up as it got closer to the B. Rowan, how many hours a weekday do you rehearse, practice, work out? Uh, towards the B, probably the same as Shrutika. And then like... Um, I'll, I'll like in the fall season where it's not too intense, maybe about like three to four hours on the weekdays. And like, um, so you come home from school, you do your math homework. What do you do? Uh, well, I come home from school and then like I eat a snack or something. And then I start. Oh, you do allow time for eating. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and then like I start studying. So do you have people you practice with? Uh, but. 
more than anything, you can, many people like might have coaches or people, but um, no one really can drive your force other than you and like your family. Now, Rohan, you were talking about zoning in on the word. Now, are you are you actually thinking visually? Or are you picturing the word in your head? Are you thinking about a pattern, or is it more abstract than that? Well, first, uh, I try to picture what I hear from just hearing the word. Then, as more information goes into my head, I I see if the spelling works for the language, if it like makes sense for the definition, and that type of thing. So you're allowed to ask for the definition, right? Yes. yes. When you're asking for the definition, are you also trying spellings in your head, comparing? Yes. You're stacking them up kind of thing? Yeah. You use those keywords in the definition, and um, that helps you figure out the correct spelling. Do you guys have a fascination with grammar? No. So you just doesn't grab you? No. That's so cool. You can split infinitives and without breaking a sweat? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what about dangling the occasional participle? Bless you. Bless you. Bless you and your, your innocent, happy mind. No, but they, it doesn't. In, in English, you guys speak other languages as well. In English, as I understand it, it's the word order that counts. Yeah. Right? Man bites dog, dog bites man. That's a, the whole different thing, mm -hmm. right? So, Unless it's poetry. Poetry breaks all the rules. What made you just say that? That's cool. What made you blurt that? Poetry breaks all the rules. Yeah, because I am not a big fan of poetry. My teacher used to make me read these random poems that used to be all about these random flowers and nature poems about butterflies, and I didn't understand a single thing. Thank you for not... Did you hear his little bit of edge there? Yeah. A little uh, anger. Like, were you... Reading haikus and things like that that were very free Not haikus, more like 15-line poems of, in my opinion, nonsense. Shrutika, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, you're smirking. S-M-I-R-K-I-N-G, smirking. Are you, uh, are you more <laughs> fond of poetry or are you smirking because you feel the exact same way? Well, um, I like prose. I like prose better, you know, just like writing. You'll choke down the occasional poem. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But sure. Rohan, you're just you're done. Poetry, no. Crisp line, as we say. Just a, stro a I stroke. I mean, right I'm through. fine with that basic poem and the classical picture book, but nothing else. <laughs> so how are there eight winners, you guys? What in the devil is going on? Because <laughs> you just practice and practice till you're just so good at it. That's crazy. Well, yeah. The the bee really has become more competitive and like all eight of us are great spellers who have worked really hard. So it's nice that we could all win. That was very well said, but you would have, you would have liked to have been, you would have 21 rounds. That's what you, no, you're worn out. Anyway, uh, we have just had a great time. We've had uh, Shrutika Patty and Rohan Raja. It's just been a great time. Congratulations, you two. They are only one quarter of the eight winners of this year's uh, Scripps National Spelling Bee. Eight winners. Eight winners who didn't get anything wrong for 20 rounds. Ah. So thank you very much. I'm Bill Nye. I'm Corey S. Powell. And remember, when it comes to the language and grammar areas of our universe, science, science rules. If you like Science Rules, and I hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out and helps other people learn about the show. We get to provide you better service and get more listeners who can turn it up loud. 
Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell. Our engineer today is Casey Halford. Mixing and the original theme music were done by Casey Halford as well. Special thanks for Claire Rawlinson. Chris Bannon is the CCO, the Chief Content Officer of Stitcher, where science rules. Stitcher. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find 10. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, right. worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.